as is sort of our custom, our tradition, one of the things that uh, we try to do is on Wednesday nights is give you a chance to uh, expand, unpack a sermon that was preached on Sunday, whether from me or from Philip. So um, while we try to do our best on the text or whatever, there are always some questions that roll around your, your head, like, how do you... How do we apply that? Or how does this fit with this other passage over here? And so Wednesday night gives you a, an opportunity to, to tap into that. Or maybe something you've been studying in your devotional or something you've been reading on the side. And it's like, we've always had a question about why, why does the Bible say this or whatever. And so it's not so much on Wednesday nights we try to be the Bible answer man. But at the same time, we're, we're trying to meet you where you're at. I mean, we think about it. Preachers come with messages all the time. And it's very rare that the congregation comes with questions and you start there and then you, you work backwards from the, from what you bring to the table by way of questions and many times it provokes um, not just answers but it, it, it scratches you know where you're itching and uh, God and we can usually tap into lower bigger elements that God uses to change our lives so that little introduction I yield the floor uh, how do we Love our enemies who hate God. How do we love our enemies who hate God? And we asked that question. I studied on that for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> In Matthew chapter six, if you turn to Matthew six, it's a set. It's a set. <laughs> <laughs> We're very skeptical in this culture that we live in. We question everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah look at a lot of that um, one of the things I was going to look at a little bit tonight in Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and of course in the sermon now one of the things he tells them in verse uh, 12 and 13 and 14 about forgiveness he says um, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and when you think about that this whole idea of forgiveness um what does that look like what does that mean how do you know you have forgiven and it's interesting he calls it a debt and he also says forgive us our debts in the same kind of way we're doing that kind of job with others who owe us really you want god forgiving you the way your performance is toward enemies you really want to go there? I mean, we all know we're defective there, but yet he says, this is how we should pray. In fact, if you turn to Matthew 18, he gives a long parable of this um, man who owes this king a ton of money. If you remember, um, I think it's in verse 21, when Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. And kind of get an idea. Anybody have an idea what 10,000 talents is worth today? 20 years of work to take your paycheck and multiply it on 20 years. That's what this guy owed this king. And he says, um, verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had 
and repayment to be made. Now, is the king being evil here? Is he being mean here? No, this is this is how you settle debts. I mean, this is, they, when they talk about, yeah, I'm in the poorhouse now. Now used to be a saying that meant you went to the poorhouse. You lost everything, and um, they possessed everything that you had. Anyway, it goes on, and it says in verse 26, the slave therefore falling down prostrated himself before him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything." In no way this guy's going to ever repay. But this is what he's saying. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe, about a day's wage. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. <laughs> then his fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handing him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, one of the twofold questions to ask about this passage here, or the subject of forgiveness, is what is forgiveness? You get the definition wrong, you're going to practice something that's wrong. And he says, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. And you don't want to be practicing something that's wrong from the get-go, and then at the end found out, well, I thought I was forgiving them. No, you weren't forgiving them. You were doing something different, but you weren't forgiving them. You got the definition wrong. So definition is very, very important in theology. Always is. You always got to get your terms right. So one of the first things we want to ask is this question, what does it mean to forgive? Whether it's God forgiving, you forgiving, whatever it is, cross the waterfront, what is the definition of forgiveness? And anybody on Zoom can jump in, okay? Just letting you know, so don't feel... Shaw, you're not in the choir loft here, okay? You're part of us. So. Forgiveness, looking for a definition. Unconditional. Unconditional what? Forgiveness. Well, what is forgiveness? A wrong done to you. A wrong done to you. That sounds like a crime more than forgiveness. But getting closer. Forgiveness? <laughs> My understanding of forgiveness is releasing from a debt. Give an example. Two years ago, I was taught in jury duty, and I'm the last one on this first row. And a man had a, had a murder in his house. And he did not commit the murder, but he helped the murderer dispose of the body and clean up the evidence. So he was charged with those crimes. And the prosecutor was interviewing the jury. And uh, he made it very clear in the beginning this man is innocent. But what we do in the process 
I'm going to tell you what we believe happened based on the evidence. And if you can agree that this act did happen and this gentleman was involved, then you must bring a guilty verdict. The defense attorney is going to attempt to debunk my scenario. And if he does so, the prosecutor said, that's both not So they started on the end asking questions of the jury. And you had to give your name, your address, and what your occupation was. So as they were moving along, and then he would ask, can you bring a guilty verdict if I prove my case? And there were two ladies sitting next to me. They, I was juror, juror number six. They were five and four. But when he asked the lady, juror number four, could you bring a guilty verdict? She said, no. She said, I'm a Christian. And the Bible teaches me that I cannot, I'm not supposed to judge. The attorney, the, the judge was sitting up there half asleep, microwave. <laughs> I thought he was asleep. They had his head back. I thought he was drooling. He came unglued. He came unglued. I thought he was going to go into his sailor life. But this is what he said. He said, You Christians make me sick. You want us unbelievers that you would call us sinners to take out the car. You don't want to get your hands started. So then they asked the next lady, could you bring a guilty verdict? And she said, no. The judge threw both of them out. Get out of here, get, don't stop and get the car. I was snapped. Can you bring a guilty verdict? Absolutely. He asked me what my occupation was. I said, I'm a realtor. I've been a realtor for 12 years, what to do for that. So I was a pastor. And the judge put both eyes on me. And the prosecutor asked me, How can you, as a Christian, bring a guilty verdict when these two ladies cannot? I said, It's quite simple to me. Said, May I illustrate? She said, Yes. I said, This lady sitting. They put another one there. I said, if I slap her, would you forgive me? I would. Well, what do you mean? If I slap this lady next to me, would you forgive me? So I guess I would. I said, then I'll slap her again. Will you forgive me? And I said, here's the point. If I slap her, you have no right to. Correct. Because I don't owe you anything. Correct. I said we can only forgive when a debt has been incurred. Correct. I said I believe biblically that forgiveness is in the format of a debt. Correct. And I, I said this way. I said you know if I borrow a thousand dollars from her and decide not to pay back, will you forgive? And I said, my point is, I see on television all the time, a man will murder four or five people 
and a good citizen will stand out in the yard that has no connection with it, it's time to give them a heart. Right. So that's what I believe about forgiveness. There has to be a debt to be forgiven. There has to be a deficit relationship. Now, for example, if somebody killed one of my grandchildren, only my grandchild can forgive me. Protecting their life. This this my thinking. You don't have to know. But since my grandchild is dead and cannot issue forgiveness, there can be no restoration. There can be no um, payment of the debt. <laughs> Therefore, the person who kills my grandson should walk that life. My son, could he forgive? He could forgive only in the context of you took my child away from me. Forgives in the context of I am now a father bearing the son. I would have to deal with forgiveness to the pain brought to my son and the loss that he's and that, that's the that's the way it's in Our society has gotten where people can commit the most horrendous crimes, crimes, and the church is always say, We forgive him. I can't forgive him. And when I went on to say, I said, the only people in this room that forgive is the judge and the prosecutor. Because you represent the law. And you're accountable to decide the retribution or whatever. So I said, the question is not, can I forgive? The question is, can the judge forgive? Because he represents the law. And, and my point, and that's, that's what I'm really doing for Another thing in defining terms, we interpret the Bible in a 20th century mindset. In other words, we say, and the Democrats are good at this, we got to come together and love everybody. Love is not a feeling, it is in the United States, it is an action. And I submit to you that when Jesus said, Love your enemy, do good for them to love you, I don't think Jesus. Can command me to have a good feeling about that. And if we define that as love, then I'm going to heaven. Love is a decision. I understand that if I have a person that abuses, misuses, brings pain on me and my family, he's my enemy. But if I'm going down the street and I see him struggle with a flat tire, I am obligated to help. And I get part of that from the when Jesus said, Love what's the great man to love the Lord your God with all your heart, not some strengthened neighbor and said. And the guy asked a very appropriate question for a Jew to ask, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. Now, if you were to stop that good Samaritan before he saw that and said, you love Jews, what do you think he would have said? He would have probably said Samaritan lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> you the way the Jews have treated us, the way they look down on us. Are you crazy? 
only stopped my anger that made me wounded. Even though the Jewish brothers walked around, who probably said, I love him, but I just ain't got time. He went to it. He took care of his immediate needs. He bound him up. He took him where he could get further help. He inconvenienced himself. He cost him money and time. He missed his real estate appointment. And then he said, whatever it costs, I'll repay it. He may not have liked the Jew, but he loved him. And I think love is treating people the way we should treat them without our feelings being involved. Love is obeying a command. And you're a pastor. How many times have you heard some husband say, I don't love my wife anymore? Well, what you mean is the erotic part is gone. And if we marry long enough, it's going to go for all. <laughs> love is a decision. Love is a decision to act in the proper way, no matter how we feel. That's my thinking. So it's like a soldier giving aid to his enemy after he shoots him. You pull out your, your first aid pack and you bind him up. And you need to do that or walk away or shoot him in the head. He's my enemy. I'm going to shoot him. But if he lives, I'm going to change him. Any feedback on this? I think um, one of the things. Feedback. Okay. One of the things that um, was said has to do with the idea of debt. And. Um, debt. 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 And, and uh, the verses that you read. In uh, Matthew 6, Matthew uses the word debt. And he says, you know, that this is how we pray and forgive us our debts. We're talking in prayer to God. We're asking God to forgive us our debts. Right. Now, do we owe God money? Well, I mean, do, do, you know, in my, I have a bind to give back God money. So, I don't think that's what he's talking about as far as money. I think right. sin is a debt. And it says many. It says our debts. So we have many. That, that's, that's sins. And because what we owe God, what we owe God is exact obedience, perfect obedience. And we sin against him. So we obviously can't give that exact obedience so we are in debt in that sense to him we can't we can't pay that which is needed that's why we need forgiveness in other words what's being forgiven or you could say let go is is that debt and and in luke in luke uh 11 luke i think makes that a connection a little better he says and forgive us our sins. Mm -hmm. But then he says, get it. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So that's how we're to forgive. So that, that idea that we're owed something and we didn't get it, uh, whatever it might be, that would be a sin against us. And... Um, 
I mean, you can look at it any any kind of thing, and well, it could be something as serious as theft, right? They they taken something in. Um, that needs to be repaid or whatever. They might not be able to. Um, we're called to forgive. That's a debt that they owe us. Right. And so we owe God perfect obedience. We don't have that. And part of forgiveness is that perfect obedience that's done for us by Christ. And and, and so again, I think you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Speaking to God, our debts, and it's plural, it's mm -hmm. many, it's our sins. And we, we, we can't we can't repay that. So we need forgiveness, like the creditor, or like the the, the, the story that follows that you, you pointed out, the man that owed so much money, he couldn't repay it. And it was let go, it was forgiven. Mm -hmm. Good point. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Still trying to get a definition of forgiveness. I think that was pretty good what he said, is that the absorption of a, of a debt. And I'm like him. I mean, I, it drives me nuts. You see people just flippantly forgive people of horrendous crimes. And they're not in a position to have been uh, robbed of something. And that's the first prereq. If you're going to forgive, you have to be offended. If the little boy knocks the baseball and goes to the window of the next door, neighbor's window in his house and breaks it, um, the only person that can forgive that little boy is who? The property owner. The neighbor. It's his window. The, the neighbor three houses down can go, can't come over to the little boy and say, oh, you know, I, I, you didn't mean it. We, I forgive you. It's nothing for him to, to, to forgive him with because it's not his window. It has, there has to be an ownership relationship there and there has to be a real loss that a person has perpetuated on that person and so it's that relationship and that person that has to has the power to forget he's absorbing the debt in other words there's a real debt which means this you can never properly forgive somebody if you don't understand what true justice is that's just what it is like those two ladies you were bringing out here that uh, the whole idea you know could you pronounced guilty on this person if he was convicted of you know committing this crime well that's in the category of justice every christian should be able to say well yeah if i'm brought the evidence and this is what it is i've got to say yes to yes and my yeses have to be yes to what i'm seeing here i mean in the, in the role of a jury is just simply to weigh the evidence and make that connection and say yeah but the evidence this is what we weigh and this is what the outcome is but the whole idea of forgiveness has to be the absorption of a of a loss that that person owes you and you're gonna pay it for him now think about it. <laughs> that's why it, it moves from the it's in the realm of justice and it deals on the tracks of justice because there's a real injustice there you can't skirt that you can't pretend there isn't or well we're all sinners and, and we all make mistakes no that's not you that's false forgiveness. You got to deal with real forgiveness with real people committing real sins, real debts, real crimes in real time. And they're against you with property you own, time, whatever else might be being robbed of you. Now, translate that to God. God owns you. 
happens to all things. He owns all things. And he, he pays with his son. He paid that. You used the word absorb with that. I was saying let it go, but Sorry. the idea of absorbing it, and that was done through Jesus Christ. Who Correct. Paid the penalty. Correct. But before we get to that step, you owe God big time. Think about that. I mean, you know why the first commandment is the first commandment? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul? Because that's what his work equals to your performance. Your thoughts, your words, and deeds should match his work. And when they don't, it's called in Romans 3, falling short of the glory of God. You've come up short. You're a day late and a dollar short on performance when it comes to God. You owe him. Pay up, buddy. That's what really should be told. Yeah, but I, I can't pay. Well, you know, that ain't my problem. Technically, this is my worth. This is your performance. This doesn't match. See, people don't want that to sink in. You've got to realize there's a gap here. And then you go, well, what's going to happen? I don't know. According to Matthew 18, we sell you, your wife, your kids, and we're going to collect. What do you think should happen? We're talking justice here. You're in the courtroom. Judges don't, technically, judges aren't supposed to give mercy. Justice, judges are supposed to give justice. That's their role. Read Proverbs. It's an abomination for what? To judge and do what? Let the wicked go free. You don't do that. You judge the wicked. You condemn the wicked. You let the righteous go free. That's what you're supposed to do. And for Christians to not know justice and to not be on the cutting edge of justice, that's, that's crazy. But it lays the predicate for when we talk about forgiveness. Because now when you talk about forgiveness, and we've laid the groundwork for what justice is, then when someone steps up, like Tom says, like God sends his son to absorb the debt, then it becomes, oh, wow, do I really need somebody to absorb this? Wow, you mean you have money to pay this fine? Or do I owe it? God, I got enough. I got zip. I mean, I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> See, then, then forgiveness actually has some value instead of cheapening it because you've cheapened justice. You just ran rough shot over it. Now, we'll follow up with that, that question with this question. Is there ever a sin a person commits against you you're not supposed to? Why does Jesus say here in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, we're not in the retaining sin business, are we? Why did you say that? Am I misreading this? Or? Anybody on Zoom? Don't sit on your hands. We're targeting you too. Hey Mark, Jay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is kind of ties in with what you're talking about. But uh, Luke 17.3, I think you referred to it. It says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. It seems like there's a prerequisite. He's got to repent before you forgive him. So, so maybe that's when you don't forgive a person unless they repent. And what really bothers me when I see somebody murdered in the newspaper or something and the, the, per, the person affected right away says, I forgive that person that murdered my son or daughter. And, and they, that person hadn't repented. 
the murderer hadn't repented. And perhaps those are the sins that we're not supposed to forgive unless the person repents. I mean, we're, we're swimming in the deep end of the pool because remember, if you don't forgive, you might fall into that condemnation in Matthew 18. I don't want to find myself there where all of a sudden I'm delivered over to the tormentors because I didn't forgive and I misused a Bible passage like John 20 or something. But on the other hand, um, I got this passage in John 20 and what Jay's talking about, you know, if he repents, forgive him. If he doesn't repent, does that mean he doesn't meet the qualifications for my forgiveness or how does that work? Do I still absorb the debt? But, you know, I can't make, I can't make the guy repent so that I, he, I make him a candidate for my forgiveness because he's not repenting. So does that kind of get me off the hook so that I don't have to forgive him, buddy? I'm going to store up so much bitterness. You ain't, you ain't seen bitterness. See my bitterness. I mean, it doesn't give me permission to do that, but at the same time, how does that work with, with what Jay said in this John 20 passage? Anybody? Thoughts? Hey, Mark. Hey. I'd like to add something to that, too. Would the Lord forgive us if we didn't repent? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says what? We ask for mercy. We repent. We confess our sins. Confess means what? To agree. So if I don't confess my sins, God's not going to forgive me of my sins that I failed to confess. How does that work? Correct. So it's important that we forgive. And that's why many times in um, Catholicism, I think on that, that was my background when I came from, it's very easy to, to get into a habit of trying to name all your sins. Because if you get if you forget any of them, they're still on the books. And it's like, I don't want them on the books, so I gotta remember them all. And it's of course we're never gonna remember them all. That's why first John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's what faithful and just. just. Whoa, just <laughs> to what? Forgive our sins and to do what? And to do what? Cleanse us from what? Wow. That means the ones I didn't even remember to confess. It's got to be. I mean, because it's kind of across the water from it. So, anybody else? Anybody want to jump in on something? Yeah. Oh, I might have confused myself when I was talking about it. But, yeah, uh, I, I, I see a debt in the overall context is a loss incurred. Correct. Yeah. Somehow a loss has been incurred. Sure. Now, in the Old Testament, when you cause, if I caused a loss to be incurred, I had to make restitution. If if I borrowed your mule and he died while I'm using it, oh, your mule. If I stole something, <laughs> if I stole something from you, I had to make restitution. I think it's what five. If I stole, if I stole one of your animals, sheep, uh, cow, whatever, owed even more. Am I correct? Well, there were different degrees of restitution. You're right. That's uh, right. And the question I ask is, why does the number go up? And this is the answer I came to. If I steal your watch, you lost the watch. But if you're a plumber and I steal all of your tools, what have you lost? Livelihood. 
your livelihood. In those days, if you stole a sheep, it was livelihood. So you owed more. Alright? Now, how do you liquidate the debt? Make restitution. Alright? If I borrow money from you, I have a debt. How do I liquidate the debt? I pay you back. Right. If I pay you back, the debt goes away. Okay. Well, what happens if I can't pay you back? What happens if I borrow money from you and on my way home? I borrowed a million dollars from you and on my way home, I get hit in a car wreck and the net broke and I can't make any more money the rest of my life. The only thing I can say to you is, will you forgive me? No. The only other alternative is one of my billionaire friends pay it for me. Mm -hmm. That absolves you pay the debt, somebody else pays it for you, or you ask forgiveness, and the person that you owe forgives. Now, I think when it comes to the Lord, we can confess our sins as long as and I do that, you do that, and I'll do that. But really, really, we're so far from pleasing God until we, we can't enumerate it. That's the why the guy had 10,000 talents. The great <laughs> example of that is Mark Luke. He was told by, by his confessor that he confessed. I feel like I have, I've had sins. Well, confess your sins. I have sins that I don't even know I have. We don't know what we owe God. That's right in this text. Oh, we don't know the power of grace. Yeah. That's exactly what I have written in my Bible right here next to verse 27 of the, uh, what you quoted from Matthew 18. After the man pleads his case, says, And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. And I wrote grace with a little arrow to it. And then... Uh, after he does his deal with trying to choke the guy out for the hundred denarii, when you get back to the wicked or to the slave owner, and he says, "You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt, that twenty years of salary, all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not?" Also, have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you. So, for me, when I get to thinking about the grace and the forgiveness in Christ, not only for all of my sins before I became a Christian, but all of the continuing sinning. As a Christian now, it's immeasurable. So that when I get into this position of what the slave owner there is talking about, I think about how much I've been forgiven. If I get into a position of somebody having done something to me, what you're talking about a debt, then exactly what this slave owner says, should you have not also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way? And you can't even do that. Not in the same way, not to the immeasurable significance of grace and forgiveness that you've been shown. Because that's the thing about 
the gospel that is so amazing is that all of your sins when you become a Christian are forgiven past, present, and the ones you haven't even committed yet are all forgiven. But it goes beyond that because just to be forgiven for all your sins only brings you to some game of zero. You still need a perfect righteousness that you don't have. So on top of all of your sins, past, present, and future being forgiven, he goes further than that and grants you positive righteousness, the very righteousness that Jesus acquired when he was here living a perfect sinless life. And that is what is so amazing about gospel and about grace. And when you consider that has been granted to you, boy, that puts, that puts you in the hot seat when it comes down to having to forgive somebody else. Yeah, I'll make a little plug here for definite atonement or limited atonement if you're a Calvinist and understand that word. Um, there's real forgiveness of real sins because there's real laws. There's not hypothetical laws of, well, he just uh, forgives the sins of all the people of all the world. And, you know, so he's, um, he paid for all of those sins of all the people. Of all, he paid for all the sins of all the people of all the world. Everybody's going to be saved. You just walk into universalism. Because everybody's sins have been paid for. Why? Because I'm taking serious that his blood has meritorious effect on paying real debt, real loss. And so if you say, well, it, it's only hypothetical, then you've taken away the sufficiency of that blood to really accomplish what it's designed to do, which is to absorb loss so that there's real vindication evening up the scales and so in saying that you're a christian and you believe your sins have been forgiven they have to have a basis for that god isn't going to just forgive you of your sins somebody has to absorb the loss ezekiel 18 is very clear the soul that sins it will i mean that's the only payment for sin is death blood has to be spilt and you know that the writer of Hebrews takes great pains to establish that point with, with the perfect sacrifice of Christ. So Christ's sacrificial death actually pays for real numerical sins. Now, take this to the bank a little bit. You're not going to send one sin more than, than God's paid for. Um, you can't. If you can't, you're none of his. And you got a sin out there you never paid for. Well, if he, if he gave me three trillion sins, but there were 10 that I think he kind of fell through the cracks. You're lost. Every single one of your sins, you have to be, you're going to help, be held accountable on that day of judgment. But if he paid for every single one of your sins, and every single one of your sins have been forgiven, and here's the kicker when it comes to grace and sanctification, then every single sin, past, present, and future, has been unplugged. It has no power. It's been absorbed. Let me tell you what that means. And this is where it translates down to us. Claire does something wrong to me. Okay. And she does something wrong to me. And she comes and she asks me for forgiveness. And I forgive her. 
Is the burden on her or on me to treat her like an equal? It's on me. I'm the one that absorbed the debt. That means I don't bring it up to her. Does God ever bring it up to you? It's as far as from the east as from the west, right? Does he talk to others about your sin? No. They're gone. Why are you talking to him about something that's already gone? Does he bring it up in such a way that, you know, he holds it over your head for the next time you have fellowship with him or anything? So am I doing that with her? Because if I'm receiving real forgiveness from God, it should translate into real forgiveness toward her. The passage you want to memorize on that is Ephesians 4.32. Just as you have been forgiven, you forgive others. Just as you have been forgiven, there is your blueprint. You forgive others. You like the way Jesus forgives you, huh? And isn't, isn't it always easier to talk to Jesus about your sins than you know your spouse, your children, your neighbor, you know? Because they'll never understand, but Jesus will always understand. He'll just take me in and he'll just love me. And hey, see, you know that. But see, and that's great, but it's got to translate. So then when people offend you, they should do they feel just that easy to come into your presence? And when they ask for forgiveness, now it gets back to not trivializing the whole idea of justice. But at the same time, we have to keep in balance the whole idea of free grace and free access to me to know that, you know, if Mark tells me that I'm forgiven, you know something? I can take that to the bank. Uh, he'll never bring it up. I might bring it up and he'll say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, that at the time, you know, I'd kind of, I don't know, cussed you out in the middle of the church service or something. <laughs> no, I can't really remember that. I'm trying to forget that. See, we know God does that. Yeah, at the same time, do we do that? And so when we talk about this whole idea of forgiving somebody, we have to understand what that means from God's perspective toward us in absorbing a debt. At the same time, notice how the relationship is established. It's so absorbed and it's so paid for. He doesn't hang it over our heads. He doesn't constantly, as we think he does, maybe because we were raised in a family where authority figures did just that. You know, they, every time you sin, they always bring up your past sins. But you always, but you never do. And what's this always never stuff? On they bringing in, they're dragging in that cat again, the dead cat. I used to, you know, and they kind of reminded me of my past sins and my past faults. Okay, yeah, I get it. I, I guess you forgive, but what is it? You never forgot, did you? In reality, God forgives. So coming back full circle to this passage here in John 20, what does it mean to retain somebody's sins? How, how dangerous is that to do something like that? Or is this to the church corporate, not just to individual Christians to be able to do? Yeah, Mark, that's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody, yeah, Gary, go ahead. Yeah, so Matthew 18 sheds light on retaining sins. If your brother sins and sins, you go and show him his fault in private, and we all know these verses, and he gets toward the end of that, and he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, and this is where the retaining comes in, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So as a corporate body and as the church, when we receive somebody into the church by baptism and membership, we tell them they've been buried with Christ, raised to newness of life, that they have uh, been forgiven. We've seen the evidence of regeneration. And so we say as a corporate body, amen to adding that brother or sister to the church. And likewise, uh, when we make a decision as a corporate body that someone is in unrepentant sin and needs to be excommunicated after we've 
you know, exhausted Matthew 18 in love. Uh, I think in John 20, 23, was it where he, right before that he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And then he says, if you forgive anyone, they've been forgiven. And if you retain their sins, they've been retained. And I think that's really speaking to the fact of uh, the corporate body uh, making a judgment on somebody as a believer uh, or an unbeliever. Uh, so I hope I hope that makes sense and sheds light on that. Yeah, good stuff. Anybody else on that? That's good. Or anybody on Zoom? Dealing with the subject of forgiveness, answering your question about dealing with enemies here. Can, of course, hey, an enemy. Yeah. I've got a, a section here in Acts that I wanted to read that was uh, relevant. Uh, let's see. It's in Acts. Um, chapter 7. And uh, when they were stoning Stephen, down in, starting in verse 59, it says, um, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. So you, you had this situation where uh, none of these men were repentant. None of these men were showing any remorse for what they had done. Uh, and here was Stephen forgiving them. And so um, you, you had this instance here, enemies taking the ultimate thing that they can take. They're not just taking property, they're taking life. And here is this believer um, forgiving them. Yeah, Jesus on the cross as well. Yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, that's, I'm just saying that's an instance, uh, an example that you have of, of, you know, how to love your enemies, how to, in, you know, forgive right. your enemies. So what we're trying to remember, what we're trying to deal with here isn't something that's trivial. This is something that, you know, if we don't forgive, we're not going to be forgiven. Now, it doesn't mean our our justification is conditional. It just means that when you are a Christian and you're bona, you're bona fide a true Christian, you're going to know how to forgive. You're going to learn whether you, you know, you're taught or whatever. And some of us are going to be put in those situations where it's going to be, wow, how does that person forgive? And others are not going to through the water, swim through the flood, swim through the fire, but all through the blood as we sing. And um, when we're in those situations, a Christian, a real Christian, will forgive but we need we're trying to parse out what does it mean to forgive what is forgiveness and, and forgiveness doesn't have any teeth at all unless you understand uh stuff about justice and what it, what an injustice is because if there's no injustice there's no need for forgiveness i think there's a gap i still think there's a loop sort of like an open end in every one of the passages i think even the one in ephesians 4 Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgiveness, sense of justification, and the other passage we've seen. There's always been, there's always been a condition met by the one seeking to be forgiven by the one who's been offended. Whether it is merely a pleading, whether it is a uh, repenting, a confessing, there's been a condition for, offered by the offender to the offended. In the case of, you know, 
Peter saying, how many times should we forgive the Mendes? Seven? Well, you know, she said, no, 75, seven. But, but Jesus never said, no, you just forgive unconditionally. Don't worry about numbers. It's just the, it's the, it's the nature of the forgiveness, not the fact. He didn't change the stipulation whereby the forgiveness is bestowed by the offended. So I, I'm still a little, and really, I mean, but then I come around to these kind of verses. I don't think one negates the other. Right. I, I don't think that, you know, Christians, if Christians aren't forgiving of everyone that, okay, I don't think that there's a connection between if Christians are to be forgiving, then they still don't need to, I don't know if you can say, require a, a, an apology, a, a, some kind of clearing of the issue. Um, I don't think that's negated by the fact that we're supposed to forgive. I think there is a corporate sense of forgiveness, like the gentleman should attack me. Younger people than me, this is I think there is a corporate sanction. You look at you look at the, the uh, number. I think it is what's the English. The, Grammatical sense where it's either plural or singular, and I think those words mean something where when they come at us like that, uh, as far as the corporate sense of forgiveness and retaining sins. But um, but then, you know, how could we live? How could we live with people who daily we offend and they offend us? They don't know. We don't know when we're in, in many ways offending. When I would say something, Jack, I offend terribly, I have no clue. And Jack absorbs it because he's kind and he's friendly. He, he, he probably understands I'm just being me, you know, so I'm stupid. But you know what I'm saying? We do that with each other all the time. So we do forgive in that sense, but there seems to be a sense in which they're really, in order there to there to be a reconciliation, a true foundational reconciliation. And a lot of times you see marriages. Marriages go years and years and years, and there's an offense, and they just don't see it. Okay. And all that we say is one, I'm really sorry. The whole thing melts away. But if not, you pat it and ask for it, for it, so it, it can go on. And, and, and that bar is there. That bar is there all the time. And so there's, it, it's really not a reconciliation. Good point. Maybe so, well, that's, that, that, it's just that's, a conundrum. I mean, I can see a little conundrum here. We're getting the sandpaper out. We're trying to work on this. We're getting the sandpaper out. We're trying to work on this project. Yeah. <laughs> on the heels of Richard's might be what he touched on. A lot of times, um, somebody may or may not say, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. You still struggle. Like, you have to do something inside. You can't, I mean, you can say if you live, yeah, okay, I'll be with you. You know, I'm over it. But you might not be because you have to work it out within your heart, in your mind. What does that, am I willing to forgive? Well, you know, he really shouldn't have said that. You know, that's the last time. You know, you're just like struggling and you're thinking, and then you're thinking to yourself, but you just really need to let it go. Just forget about it again. It's not always a knee-jerk, it's never a knee-jerk. Okay, I'll And let me, let me ask you, if someone asks you to forgive them, are you under obligation to forgive them? In other words, 
let's say, I don't know, I back up into your car and smash the fender. And I said, oh, gosh, I didn't mean to do that. Hey, man, would you forgive me? Okay, great. So on you now to, to you know take care of the fender or whatever because you forgave me. You absorbed the debt kind of thing. Or do you, or do you have grounds to say, uh, I will forgive you once you pay for the fender. But then you don't really need to forgive them if they pay for the vendor because forgiveness is not necessary because there's no debt. See, there's no forgiveness if there's no infraction, if everything's been settled up. But if it hasn't been, then what we're arguing about is who's going to pay the debt. You who committed the crime who should pay the debt. But yet you come across and hold your arm and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give restitution, which is my duty to give because I um, incurred the debt toward you. I'm not going to do it. Yet you're on the hook to forgive me. Or are you on the hook to forgive me? Well, do you have to forgive everybody? I'm going to tell you something. I cannot forgive some of these dead on black lives matter and teach people. You know, I try to pray for them. I can't, I have trouble even praying for these people. I mean, the things that they're doing, you know, I might not be right there with them, but they're destroying this country. They're destroying what's going to happen for our children. You know, I mean, I, have a, I, I see them as true enemy to me. So that goes into that goes into a different uh, deal when you're talking about forgiveness, forgive and love your enemy. That's two different things. Because has Black Lives Matter ever come to your house and thrown a Molotov cocktail in your house? No, personally, right? Personally, yeah. So there's been no my country, my country. Right, but the, the, there's not a debt that we're talking about debt. That, that's they owe you. that they owe you at all because they haven't done anything to you. But then you go into the other issue of love your enemies. That's where you are with these people well, who haven't done anything to you. Love. Well, but we're talking about two different things at this point. The debt, they haven't done anything to you, but are they your enemy? Yeah, they're your enemy, right? Okay. Love your enemies. Yeah, that's a big part. And you've got passages like in 1 Corinthians 5 and 1 Timothy 1, where Paul gives people over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Why? Because they're in sin and are unrepentant. Well, this is where you'll find most of the world out there. I mean, I get that. They're under the power of the evil one, and they do his bidding and do his desires and stuff. I got that. It's not burdened on me to come go out there and try to forgive them of those kind of sins kind of thing. They're unrepentant. They're unrepentant in their sins. As he says in 1 Corinthians 5, what is that to use the so-called brother in your congregation that you've got to deal with because he's acting a certain way in reality? His sin is being exposed. Yes? Again, this is my way of writing about I don't know if it helps or not. What does it mean by love? Does love mean and I watch those people on TV, I get the same warm, fuzzy feeling as I have for these people in here. And that's love, I can't get there. Yeah, I hear you. And, but if those people were riding in front of my house and doing damage to my house, and one of them fell on the ground with a heart attack, I can say, Thank God. Or I can go out there and give him CPR. Yeah. I don't have to like him. To love him. 
And to me, love is an action. To me, we're so we're so caught up. We define so much in America by feelings. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with feelings. I'll tell you, I was in the army in the 60s, and I was involved in those riots. I've been spit on, I've been grabbed, I've been called a baby killer, and I was in the military police unit. And they came on our post. And I didn't like it. And I was a Christian. You know, you spit in my face, I got a problem with that. Okay. I still don't like West Coast Democrats. What's going on there was going on in the 60s, but not but and I was a victim of it because it's military police. I didn't like it. But when I got hurt, I had to switch from how I feel about you. Well, I can do for you. And again, God so loved the world that he gave. You know, we go around telling people God loves you. And they think, I know, God's got this warm, cozy feeling in his heart for me. No, 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 no. He hates wickedness. You think God just wraps his big old warm arms around you and cuddles you to his breast? No. Our destiny is the wrath of God, unless God does for us what we cannot do. Not because he likes us, not because we're his cute little children, but because we owe a debt we cannot pay. And there's no one in the entire universe can pay that debt except God. I can accept the fact that God loves me, but He don't like me, and that's where I, that's why I stand with all of this. You know, if one of them tries to come in my house, I'm gonna shoot. And if I don't kill him, I'm trying to stop the police. You know, you see those pictures of policemen, you know, at the barricades, and they're standing pretty much like almost like an attention. And of course, the rioters are doing all these things and going crazy and stuff. I'll tell you, I, been there. I was 22, 23, 34, 24 years old. And if I was to ask one of the policemen, you know, why are you this way? Why don't you respond in kind like the rioters? Right. They will tell you that they are listening to a higher order. So I was stationed between Seattle and Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. And I wouldn't go back. I love right. the country. It's beautiful. You'd have to put a gun to my head and go back to this. <laughs> but, but, I'm, I'm but, but see, I, my point is that we are like the police. In other words, we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. We have our marching orders. He tells us what we are to do. The right. decisions we are, we are to make with that lost, unbelieving right. son of disobedience, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm to do X, Y, and Z because the commander who commands me is commanding me to do that. So it, my reference point of what this person gets doesn't start with that person. Right. It starts over here. Right. And so when it starts over here with King Jesus and he tells me to do X, I do X. Now, one thing that's good to know is that all these people out there that's doing all this evil, I'm told by the commander, they reflect the image of God. 
they share with me it's marred but it's the image of god so i know they're not like an animal animal they're they're sharing the image of god so one of the um encouraging points for me to be very careful how i traffic and handle images of god out there is that you better listen to me because if you got there half cock some sort of yahoo out there doing your own thing vigilante and going to every man do what's right in his own eyes and thinking you're serving me you got another thing coming you think about it you got angels in heaven right now that can come down you think they wouldn't mind licking their chops and taking out maybe half the united states with one fell swoop of sword. i mean they look at them to say just me please just i'm itching i'm just back you'll make my day or just tell me go sick them and i mean done i mean you gotta i gotta think that they're just i mean but yet they don't do that how come they stay at attention they stay in in file they don't break was it the phalanx or whatever they're in their soldiers they're this is what God tells us to do. I can call down 12 legions of angels, Jesus said. You think those angels would have been ready? Yeah, I'm like, oh, they'd have gone. So, I mean, there was there were angels there with him when he was in Gethsemane praying. Remember, an angel came in and covered him. So you know they would have jumped at you know, anything. Well, we can be that way too. And we can get our jumping point from the mop. You don't want to do that. Well, I was raised different. You don't want to do that. I'm not getting it from mama and how I was raised. I'm not getting it from the mob. I'm not getting it from, you know, a bunch of whatever, right wing here, left wing, whatever. I'm not getting it from them. I don't march to their drumbeat. I march to what King Jesus said. Why? Because I was redeemed by it. I was bought with a price. So he owns me. And since he owns me, like Tom says, by what standard do we do X, Y, and Z? Here's the standard. This is the marching orders, what King Jesus says. And so I'm in a situation and I have something perpetrated against me that's, you know, an injustice. And he tells me I need to forgive. Well, that's what I do. I, he tells me, turn the other cheek. That's King Jesus telling me that. This guy doesn't deserve that. I said, nothing to do with deserving. I'm not marking him as my reference point of what I do and what I don't do. Why would I do that? That's why what your spouse might deserve from you, tongue lashing. See, he doesn't give you any ground to give him one. How dare you let an unwholesome word proceed from your mouth when Ephesians 4.29 says, every word should be given for edification in the need of the moment. That's King Jesus. Now, are you in formation or not, soldier? See, are you going to listen to King Jesus or are you going to take your cue from the situation ethics of the situation? Well, she deserved this one. Oh, who are you? I mean, now you tell me what she did now makes me do what she did as a responsibility. But somehow, King Jesus, I get my marching orders from him. Now, I've got to take what he says and I have to weigh it on the situation. I get that. And I got to triage verses and things like that. But my starting point has always has to be King Jesus. Why? Because he's king. All authority in the heaven and earth has been given to him. And he owns us. And we take seriously his authority over us. That's why we forgive. That's why we retain sins like Anthony was bringing up. It's because King Jesus says to do this. Paul delivers a, you know, these elders over in Ephesus over to Satan. They be taught not to blaspheme. He's doing it for a reason. Because that's what King Jesus says to do. So if there's every question on his on his on his well, if he's ever questioned on his actions, he can always say, look, this is what the scripture said. Go ahead. Do what? So we don't have to forgive people if they didn't do something to us. I'm going to give you an example. It was when I was a very young nurse. It was a terrible thing. A man ran over his wife or had a baby in her stomach and their little girl. He got mad and ran over and killed him. And he was injured, and so he was in the hospital. And it's very difficult to go in the room and take care of him. 
have to say prayers outside when they were going there because nurses are required. You are a nurse, religion, okay. No matter religion, no matter what they are, you take care of them and treat them with dignity and respect. You have to do that. But I don't think I ever forgave that guy because, I mean, he murdered these people. For, I mean, these innocent little people. So now I know, guess what? I didn't have to forgive him. Well, like we said, he didn't incur the debt against you. Because he didn't know he didn't do nothing to you. But you have a different issue. You hate him. Yeah. You're bitter to him. That's a different thing. Yeah. That Sorry. goes back to what I was saying. You didn't get off the hook that easy. Yeah. That goes back to what I mean, I get it. He's despicable. I mean, I, we understand it. But but when we look at when we look at, say for example, I mean. Who of us in here are not outraged by what we see going on in our country and the things and the and and beyond what we see in the physical burning up and that the ideology behind it is just put your brain on fire and, and, and but but they are children of wrath and such for some of you Paul said we were once children of wrath. And we only did what was according to our nature. And that's what they are doing. They are doing what comes natural to them. And what comes natural to the natural man works itself out in so many, and I find that very fascinating uh, as, as I've learned about the nature of of the natural man. For some people, that works out in their life as they like to be looked upon as very moral in the community and upstanding. And so they are just as wicked in uh, their sin as the Black Lives Matter protester who's burning down a man's business that he spent all his life, but in a different degree and in a different way. They are living their life for their self. They are rejecting Jesus Christ. They are rejecting his word. They're rejecting the Bible. They might be doing jambalaya pots for uh, kids with MS every other month, and they may even go to church. But they're rejecting Jesus, and they are a children of wrath, a child of wrath, just as much as the worst protester you can come up with. And so were we. We were acting according to our own nature until the Holy Spirit put the tractor beam on us of the effectual call and regenerated us and gave us new life. And so when, when I look at that, I look at people doing it, I say, hey, they're only acting according to their nature. And they can't do otherwise. Just like me until God granted me grace. And so we have to understand where they are. And they're, 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 not only, they're not only naturally, spiritually blind, they are doubly blinded by Satan. Uh, the God of this world has blinded the, 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 the minds of those lest they believe the glorious gospel. They're doubly blinded because Satan is the ruler of this world system right now. They're under his marching orders. That's where they are. And they are headed for wrath eternally if 
until or unless God the Holy Spirit moves in on them. And so you have to kind of put it in perspective, you know, when, when, when you're looking at it. And I am not saying that that's easy. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying that that's an easy thing to do. That's something, as he just said, that's an issue that we have to work out for ourselves in our sanctification. Last question, and I'll let you go. <laughs> and it goes back to, somebody want to share something? Yeah, I wanted to say something on that. Go ahead. Um, I think, you know, we, we've gotten a little, I mean, we've had good thoughts, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, as Americans, we are fat and happy and think we own everything and think we're owed everything and we have this entitlement mentality. I'm just speaking as America and judgment begins in the house of God. And, you know, when we say things like, well, I can love them, but I can't like them. That's just not in the scripture. And like is inherent in love. I think I know what's trying to be conveyed there. But when you read the scripture, really, and you start with total depravity and you start with our condemnation before God, the debt that we owe that cannot be repaid and the debt that Christ did pay on our behalf when we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. The unmitigated wrath of God on our sins for all of eternity. It just, uh, when we know how much we have been forgiven, this entitlement mentality has to be wiped away. And what I mean by that, when you read, you know, but I say to you who here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer them the other also, whoever does not take away your coat, whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from either, give to everyone who asks of you, whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back, and he goes on, and listen, that what credit is it to you, if you lend and just to expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies. And I'm not saying I do this properly or perfectly. Do I want to? Absolutely, I want to. I want to lay down my life for my fellow men if that's what's necessary to bring glory to God. But we have an attitude in America, and I get caught up in the politics of it. And sure, I hate the things going on. But the reality of it is we're in this condition primarily in America because, uh, and I'm going to say this term loosely, the church has forsaken her duty to bring the gospel to the masses around us. Amen. And we don't go to our neighbors. We don't go to our coworkers. We don't open our mouths for the sake of Christ, but by God, we'll open our mouth for Trump and everybody else. And really it's, it's, you know, it's very, uh, it's prideful. It's arrogant. It's uh, it's not Christian at all. And so when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is rooted in love. And love, uh, faith works through love. You cannot forgive unless you love. And love demands that you love your neighbor as yourself. You would never look at yourself and say, oh, I love you. But I don't have to like you or forgive you or do any. That's that's all illogical. It, it doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. And so when we're called to forgive, we are called to humble ourselves before God. Look at the cross, see what Christ has done, and realize, you know what? 
I should be burning in eternal hell right now. And everything I have in this life is gravy on top of gravy on top of gravy because I'm a fat, happy American who just doesn't know any better. And I don't know, man, I'm just, I, I know I'm venting, but we have to get off that high horse. And like Philip said, it ain't easy. No, it's not easy. It's impossible without the spirit of God humbling our hearts in the dust. That's why they cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes in the old days. We don't have a clue about that. And I don't want to turn us into legalists going out and getting sackcloth and ashes. But, you know, we have to realize if the Lord takes everything away and we get the worst communist leader here in America today, that the gospel is still going to go forward and we're still not in hell and we are still not dead in our sins and trespasses. And it's a momentary light affliction if we're in the worst of republics or the worst of governments. I mean, that's just the way it is. But uh, anyway, I hope that made sense. You know, I, I think about um, a lot about what, what Anthony just said. And uh, for me, one of the hardest things right now, I think it's, it's I, would, I would call it a, a comfortable, <clears throat> comfortable complacency that we've fallen into. And I know though he used the word, he said loosely, the church. And I agree with it because I think it's the, the professing church because we know the church is the bride of Christ and Christ is going to pre present her. You know, she's going to be presented without spot, without lunch, without wrinkles. You talk about another man's bride, that's fighting words. So, you know, I, I don't want to say the church, but in the sense that the professing church, we have become very comfortably complacent in, in a lot of this. And I, one of the things for me, at least on the street, or, or, or say like at, at an abortion note or something like that, where I, I wrestle with the verse that says we don't wrestle. It, 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 in Ephesians, where it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All of these things we can see about what, what's going on. I think even what Andy just alluded to in our nation, everything. But even on a personal level, on, 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 when, you're, when you're talking to somebody and they're cursing you, uh, you know, spitting on you, whatever they're doing, the hard thing for me is, is I try to remember, I, I pray about this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, they're not my enemy. Right. Uh, I know we speak about that. And, and Jesus said, you know, to love your enemies. Um, and for me right now, it, one of the ways that I try to, to put that into you know, shoe leather is to just not consider them as an enemy. That, that, that's the only way I can love them. Uh, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If, if I really, you know, understand what's going on here, he says the very next part of that says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That spiritual wickedness, um, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, I, I posted that video of the abortionist, the murderer in New Orleans, uh, the fake doctor to St. Martin of her dancing in the parking lot mm. 
uh, after she's had a week of, of murdering babies. And she's dancing to Christian music, playing Christian music, making a mockery of it. You know, it's, it's really easy to look at her as an enemy. Hmm. Now, she's an enemy of the gospel, absolutely. But, you know, you've already brought it up tonight, we said, and such were some of you, some of us. Okay, such were some of you. We, you know, in my past, I mocked the gospel. I, I did things. Okay, I think probably many of us have done that, been in that position. Um, what, what for me is, it's really difficult, but to try to remember physically, she's not my enemy. Mm. I need to recognize she's being possessed. I mean, she is possessed by this right. spiritual wickedness. Right. It's demonic. Um, and, and, and to try to remember this. So that's where, I guess, all these things that we're talking about tonight, I think Anthony hit it on the head in the sense that we don't apply this. We have a Wednesday night meeting and we talk about it and we go, oh, and we get comfortably complacent. We don't do anything with it. And, and, and I think we, we, this is where the struggle is to take it outside these four walls and to live it and to go out and try to love our enemies in that sense. And, and again, for me, that one of the ways is to, to look at them and realize I, I'm not fighting with that person, that one that's just calling me all kinds of names, yelling in my face, trying to hinder the preaching of the gospel, whatever it might be. Um, and taking it out, we, the, the gospel, the gospel of God is the power of God. It's the power of God in salvation. That's what's going to change someone from being an enemy of the gospel to, to becoming a child of God. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And we've got to become comfortably complacent. We don't, we have tons of knowledge, but we're not taking it out. And isn't it fascinating that very doctor that you're talking about, so wicked, that if that doctor comes to faith in Christ, they become adopted by grace. That's right. Christian become one of us. Become in our sisters. You could become in, our sister. In the family. Yes. I find that fascinating. And oh. we've seen examples of that, right? Mary Magdalene. How many things, you know, yeah. passed out and she becomes a sister yeah. Yeah. in Christ. How many examples of, of, of do we have even of uh, abortionists? That become have become Christians and renounce everything that they did. That's the power of the gospel. I'll, I'll close with this, and this is the real emphasis for tonight: is that you know, if you listen to the, and I'm gonna call it, I will call the the crowd the justice mongers in our culture, and they're probably right. If that's all you listen to, then you're not going to be ready to forgive. You're never going to be ready to show mercy and grace. If this woman was to repent, that's all I'm talking about. That's all he thinks about is abortionists need to be killed. They need to be aborted themselves. And it's constantly like that. If she was to repent, she would fly under the radar. I mean, he, would, he wouldn't be in a position to say, you know, wow, you know, your sins are forgiven. Because 
you can build up bitterness and hatred and call it holy anger and righteous wrath and all these other synonyms to hide and mask what you don't really want to call it, which is, you know, I just really despise that person. And I think about when you say that, I get what you're trying to say because they're, they're sinning and they're sinning, sinning blatantly, but you've got to remind yourself, this is a person made in the image of God. This is a person that can be shown the same grace as I was shown. This is a person that, for all I know, 10 years from now, might have a tremendous women's ministry among doctors who try to commit, you know, practice abortion. I don't know the, the future of that. I'm not called to do that, but I am called, and these the marching orders, is to do two things. I'm preaching against sin. See, there's the justice part. And I'll call sin, sin. And I'll, you know, read you the right act and tell you, tell you about the wrath of God. But I have got to have a just like my master. I've got to be ready to forgive, and I've got to be ready to show mercy and grace at the drop of a hat if they repent. Why? Because that's what he does with me. So he goes back to Matthew 18. This is what he does with me. So that when I sin, and I just quickly say, Lord, oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that? I mean, really? You just told the, the Lord of all the universe, all, all glory, that you're sorry about it. And he's just supposed to understand and just forgive you. And you go on and kind of have fellowship with it. Or you can kind of start groveling and start trying to do penance and try to say, well, I've got to earn this grace that's coming to me. Now I've got to really got to feel bad about what I need. Because if I don't feel bad enough, then I'm really going to be trivializing sin. I'm trivializing his glory. No, 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 no. And then you get into this mentality of legalism and all of this. But you don't want that. He's not called you to that. And if we're going to practice that with other people, we've got to get over that when it comes to how he forgives us. That's why we get our cues for him forgiving us. But there is no forgiveness if we jettison this whole idea of justice. And it doesn't mean I'm a justice monger. It just means that I understand it. And I preach it. i got to tell people about sin and the wrath of God. And I do. And they've got to run from it. And if they don't, then their sins are upon them. You, we're retaining your sins because he's retaining your sins. I'm not telling you something. I'm not doing something he ain't doing. That's what he's doing. I, you need to know that. And so we tell you that. But if you repent in a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. Why am I despising that broken and contrite heart? Well, you need to grovel a little more. Well, you need to pay a little bit more. Well, you really hurt me. See, when it becomes me now, then it becomes something I have to absorb that loss. But at the same time, how do I reflect? that grace that God gives those kind of people. Here's Stephen getting stoned to death. As you know, Frank brought out. And he's able to say, you know, Lord, you do not hold this sin against them. And it's like, I mean, did you read what Peter, I mean, what Stephen said in that message? He took the tar paper off. I mean, those people, I mean, he let them have it. Yet at the same time, in the same breath, after they were stoning him, he could ask for their forgiveness. Now that's the right balance. So Tom's right having both there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, grace. God's grace to forgive. You don't naturally forgive. You don't naturally forgive. Thanks, God's grace to forgive. Just like all of sanctification. Just struggle. Love your enemies or to forgive people that you love. That's right. He has to do and Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight with these truths. Father, once again, we thank you and we bless you for your word. Father, we are so out of our element in a lot of ways when it comes to forgiving enemies, people who sin against us. And we thank you that we're like that because it casts us upon you. And we're mindful, Father, as we see 
what it takes and the grace it, it, it needs to be. Father, if you give to sinners, wow, Lord, we're just, we're so far away from that. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in that. Not to be quick to forgive where there's no justice. That, Father, that like you, we're slow to anger and we should be quick to forgive. But also understanding that sin cannot be short-circuited or swept under the rug. It has to be confronted. It has to be repented from. It has Restitution has to be made. All those things when it comes to sin and shortcomings. And at the same time, Father, when it comes to dealing with you, we're mindful, Father, that there is no restitution that can be made that can pay for the debt that we owe. But we're asking, Lord, that you would help us not lose that sense of justice, to not lose that sense of weightiness, of having that kind of debt, that beatitude of poverty of spirit, and that blessed are those who mourn, that that having that deprivation sense in our soul that lends itself to possessing the kingdom of God and being comforted, being able to be satisfied with righteousness and being called sons of God as peacemakers. Father, we're, we're mindful that it, it takes that bedrock of, of justice and injustice to understand forgiveness. And we just ask the Lord that you would help us in that tonight, that you would cause us to be bold, Cause us to be courageous in the sins that we have to confront, not just in ourselves, but in others. And at the same time, Father, to be quick to forgive, like it says in Luke 17, seven times a day, we can forgive seven times. That that's our natural reflex is to be able to forgive because it's our natural reflex that we see you do with us. And we thank you so much for that, Father. We thank you that you forgive us of our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we bless your son, Father, for taking away our sins, as it says in Ephesians 1 7, through his precious blood. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks, on Zoom. We appreciate everything. Thank you, guys. Good night.